Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I put up a new rewatchables on Monday. We did singles, the 30th anniversary of probably the defining Gen X movie, one of the great soundtracks ever and a movie that has really held up as a snapshot of the early 90s in Seattle and that whole scene. I really love it. Cameron Crowe directed it. Chris Ryan, Van Lathan, and I, we broke it down, had a great time. So there you go. As promised on this podcast, we're devoting it to Jonathan Sharks, our beloved colleague at The Ringer. Great writer, great podcaster, great thinker, and most important, really great guy. And he's left a huge void with us. So I have Jay Kyle Mann, Chris Ryan, and Kevin O'Connor, three people who worked with him closely. And first, the first Two thirds of the podcast, we're just talking about sharks and telling stories about him and what it was like to work with him and just give you a feel for the for the person. And then the last part of the podcast is going to be a redraft of the 2018 NBA draft, which we watched with sharks. Kyle wasn't there, but Kevin and Chris and I were, and a lot of the Ringer people were there. We did a live redraft, and as it turned out, we all loved Luca. We were all in on Luca, and then Sharks' favorite team trades up to number three and they get Luca. And we have it on video. You can watch it on YouTube. Um, and one of the things I always remember is Jason Gallagher, another Mavs fan who worked with us, just running over for the high five with uh, with Sharks. So we thought it would be fun to redraft that. And, uh, and it's something that he would have loved. So that is all next. First, we'll play a little Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, I'm here with uh, Kevin O'Connor, Jake Kyle Mann, and Chris Ryan. We're going to talk about 
our friend Jonathan Sharks, who passed away on Saturday after a pretty prolonged battle with uh, with cancer. And I think Kyle and KOC probably worked with them the closest of all the writers we had and, and video people. What are Kyle, you're like a writer, video creator. Ongoing discussion, right, Chris? <laughs> um, Chris and I... He's in the process of self-actualizing. Dabbling. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh... We started The Ringer 2015 and we really started planning it um, kind of that that fall, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we met, we had all these lists. Remember, we had these writer lists. And Charks was somebody we were looking at when we were at Grantland. Yeah. And it was pretty early, early for him at that point. But he was clearly somebody that was going to work with us. We just didn't know if he was ready yet. Yeah. And then in that space between Grantland and The Ringer, his stuff got better. And it got to the point where we were like, oh shit, is he going to get hired before we launch this thing? Charks was an original blog boy. He really was. He he like came from an era of the internet that was um, people really writing for their own entertainment, you know, and pretty much just like, hey, I can self-publish or I can write for a team blog or I can write for a place that's pretty independent, but I'm just going to get my thoughts down and kind of find my own voice and... He was a really good example of like somebody who never really was swayed by like popular public opinion and the way the winds were blowing on the internet and seemed blissfully kind of unaware of Twitter. You know what I mean? Like your NBA Reddit, all that stuff. Yeah, like he would be like, hey guys, just so you know, like I wrote a book review on my site. That would be his tweet for like the three months, you know? Uh, And it really showed in his writing. And it really showed when you talked to him, you, you felt like you were talking to someone who would thoughtfully given, you know, credence to different ideas and decided what he believed. And, you know, was aware of the discourse in very funny ways and, you know, would often just talk about takes and stuff like that. But he was really one of a kind. He always cared about the angle and his angles were always really good and really unique and based. I mean, I honestly think he could have been like a basketball scout. Don't you think, KFC? Like he could have absolutely worked for a team and broke it down. I mean, I think, you know, you talk to NBA people, the best scouts are the people who are curious and, you know, they're they're willing to stand on an opinion at the same time. With Charks, I mean, like you said, he wasn't plugged into Twitter, right? But he came with his thoughts. He asked a lot of good, thoughtful questions and follow-up questions and more follow-up questions and... I remember I was looking through my emails recently to find the first time Charks and I connected, and it was him emailing me about the Celtics in like early 2014. Yeah, just with some, hey, I'm you know I'm writing about the Celtics. I wanted to get your thoughts. I saw you on Celtics blog. You know, here's you know here's five questions, and I answered them all. And you know, we went back and forth for a while, and you know, then we started like chatting on like GChat on mm. Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basketball. He's always always curious, but always had his firm thoughts and opinions on the game. Yeah. The stuff that you described about his early blog, about like um, the way he was just so... The thing about John was like he he would confront you with ideas, like absolutely being dug in and like didn't care about what the discourse was. He and I were talking about some of his like favorite like basketball people and he some of the people he was popping off. I was like, what? what? Like just blindsiding me. We don't even go into details, but, but he... Um, this doesn't have to be John's top, top five worst tapes. <laughs> no, no, he just he, he well he always would describe to me as like uh, he said he would I think he said this on somebody's show one time that he would start at Cockamamie and work backwards. Yeah, basically say that what's the most outrageous thing, and I think he could have worked for a team because I've had people that I know now that like work with NBA teams that will 
mention Charks and in these conversations about Charks now, as we all kind of reflect on him, like read his stuff back then because he was just a really creative thinker. He didn't really care what 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 the popular kind of consensus was, and uh, yeah, just in, and insanely incisive and sharp. That's something I've said over and over again. He was really prescient about where the NBA was going without being dogmatic about it, like with small ball and stuff like like lineup changes and what teams were going to have to do when the playoffs came around or what they were going to have to do when they had a specific matchup coming up. Like he read matchups so well. Like sometimes you would be like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen in this series. And John would just be like, this is what's going to happen in this series. You know, like this guy's going to get X'd out by this guy and this guy's going to get X'd out by that guy. And then it'll come down to this guy versus this guy and whoever wins that matchup is going to yeah, win. If he gambled, he would have done well. Yeah, but <laughs> it was always like he he was very good at being like, it's not because this guy's an idiot or these guys are dumb that they don't see it like that. He's just like, look at the way basketball is being played. Look at the way it's going to be played in six months when this guy and this guy are not as like important. And it was always like you'd get to the playoffs or you'd get to that matchup, you'd get to that series and you'd be like, ah, John was right. Yeah. Yeah, we had, I mean, it was such a fun time for basketball writing that first part of the 2010s because, and we we were part of it, I think, with the stuff we were doing at Grayland, but the you could have takes without worry, worrying about them getting thrown back in your face as long as they were smart. It was, things were moving toward this smarter level of basketball and you could feel it all over the place. We were pretty ahead of the game with a lot of that stuff. And we had so many good people. So when we were forming the ringer, there's a lot of pressure on us finding the basketball people really over anything else that we had to find because we we felt like we had had such a high level with the last site. And Sharks was the first one where we were like, this guy is at the level. This guy is here. Hopefully he won't get hired before we're going. And then KOC was the second one where I, I don't remember the some Celtics blog thing. I'd been following you for a while. I was like, he's not ready. He's not ready. And then you wrote something. And I was like, I think he's ready. Did, would, he, would he send you messages being like, you're I, that, that was when I reached out to you. <laughs> that was when I reached out was to you. Was it the IT predict, prediction? That was your big breakthrough, uh, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what the what the blog was that year, but I remember when you It was some him. sort of breakdown yeah. in the Celtics. It was really smart. And I was like, he's ready. Mm -hmm. But the point is, Sharks was ready probably like eight, nine months before we actually started working for yeah. us. I think he was sitting there in a way that um, was pretty, pretty unique. Do you, you know, it, do was, you remember, it was just, it was easier for us to find talent back then and then, than it is now. Do you, he's told this story to me many times. Do you remember he, this was right around when he first started with Ringer. He tweeted something out about football players versus basketball players and he, which he didn't tweet hardly at all. But he said something like, this is so his personality. He's like, yeah, well, it, uh, basketball players are actu actual great athletes, whereas football players weren't or something. And he just got, <laughs> I mean, people just absolutely yeah. destroyed him. <laughs> and he, and uh, I just uh, thought that was always a funny thing. Because I, I would like ask, because I would always be like trying to learn how to do this because I was coming to it at a, like a later age by the industry standard. Like, how do I, how do I come to conclusions like that? How Just trying to figure out how he thought. And he would always just say, you know, uh, I would, I, he'd be like, I don't even remember what I said on that pod. Like he, his, his, he <laughs> right. had like, he had like a great player, like next play mentality of, and, and I would say, like and, yeah. and he would always encourage me to like brag about the ones I got right. He, and because his thing that he would say over and over again was like bad takes 
slip away and yeah. just and you miss a hundred percent of the takes you never have. True. And one good one lives forever. And yeah. he was he would always, just encouraging me to shoot basically. And John, yeah. that's how John was. He was just like unafraid to just be a, an original thinker. Basically, well, his his draft takes were usually pretty dead on, which was what was so fascinating that the Chet Holmgren draft, which ended up sadly being John's last draft, but. He did the he did the charts thing. He went all in. He's like, Chet, Chet's my guy. I am a hundred percent in, and here's all the reasons. And he made the case, and it was so compelling. He actually almost swayed me from. <laughs> he had that one Jamal Crawford pro am like five minutes of like, <gasps> and then it was the plantar fasciitis. Yeah. Right, right, right. But you know, going backwards with him, the uh, the angles were always the key, and I just in general in basketball writing like the. Just every once in a while, just coming up with a way to look at something that people didn't see yet yeah. or was sitting there and just nobody kind of noticed it in the same way. And I think like the Durant piece that he wrote in 2019, I think is an amazing reread. He really captures, and it's even more interesting to read now three years later. But then we talked about the OG Ananobi piece too, about is this guy what the new center is going to look like? And, you know, that from just a basketball discourse standpoint, it's so hard to find people like that that are just like, all right, here's this piece of paper. I'm going to tilt it. <laughs> and tilt with, it by 10%. With one like that one, the OG and an OB is the future of the center position. It hasn't exactly panned out that way, right? You know, because yeah. the amount of centers that have entered the league and are still entering the right. league. Right, it flipped the other yeah, way. I mean, centers have it, changed. Too. Yeah, yeah, they've changed, right? Uh, but Charks was right on with the, necessity, the necessary skills that a center yeah. is, is needed. And by the way, like the Warriors just won the final. <laughs> and like the team that takes them down might be a team that has the OG Ananobi or the player like him that can actually go against a Draymond at the five. Like that's, that's, I mean, Sharks was right on with the evolution the, of the, the game. The coolest thing, I mean, I, you know, I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of guys who like think about basketball on such a high level. But, you know, with John, I watch basketball like television, right? So like when basketball is on the screen, I'm still like watching it like it's a show and I'm listening to the people talk and I'm looking at all the graphics and I kind of understand what I'm watching, you know, on a tactical or statistical or whatever level. But I feel like John is the kind of person who could watch, was really good at like watching like film. You could He could watch game film with nothing encumbered, completely unencumbered. Like if there was, it was muted, you didn't know the score and John could read a game. Like somehow yeah. that guy would be like, he would watch the same game as I did. And I would be like, oh, here are all these like storylines that were coming out of it. And he was like, no, nah, it's actually just like, did they move Tobias to the five or not? And that would be like the whole thing. And I would just be like, oh, right. I didn't think of that for the 90 minutes that I watched this basketball game and the 45 minutes I thought about it afterwards and the 50 minutes I spent looking at Twitter after that. I never thought about like this little thing that John just would see when he was watching basketball, you know? And he always had enthusiasm behind it, right? Like, yeah. I think there's a lot of X's and O's types, but Charks always brought love, you know, you know, with his analysis. It yeah. was always en enthusiastic. I think, it was, I think that's what made him so relatable. He did it in a presentable way, and the love for the game was always there. I mean, even after his diagnosis. Yeah. Oh. Like, I, was, I was amazed at the fact that, you know, he continued crushing it on the pod with you, Kyle, every single week, and he <laughs> kept writing kick-ass stories on the site. Yeah, he I mean, he, just, he yeah. genuinely loved the game. And anytime, you know, you talk to him through texts or phone calls, it was always like basketball, 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 basketball. He just genuinely loved the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like no nasty, you know, we, 
I, I'm certainly guilty of it where you're making fun of the players or making fun of GMs <laughs> or situations. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's part of being a basketball fan is like having fun with the underbelly of it. And Sharks didn't really dabble with the underbelly at all. And I think that was part of like who he was as a person. Um, yeah. He just, he looked at it like almost like it was a spiritual thing. And he really cared about the mechanics trying to illustrate what he saw versus what the normal person would saw. And his writing got better um, pretty much every year, the first four years we had him. Yeah. And then as a podcaster, that was another one where, um, remember the first couple of times doing a pod with him where he, he hadn't figured out some of the tricks you need. Like you can't just stop talking and then expect <laughs> the other things like that. Where it's like, my point is over. Now you, but you're like, oh wait, you're done. Yeah. But then... I think his real personality mm-hmm. really came out, I think, the last couple of years, too. And you you spent the most time podcasting with him. <laughs> Getting to know him was like, I, I always, people, a lot of people have like really graciously like re- reached out and asked me how I'm doing. And I appreciate everybody that's done that. I, I, I've been really careful to not like portray myself as like some lifelong best friend. I got to know him like late in his life and like really got to know, we really got close uh, prepping for the pods, but having these conversations when he would be on the chemo chair and we would talk, I'm seriously like, I'm pushing three hours in some cases, we would just sit there and talk about, and I was like, man, we should be recording these, but just going all over the place. But his passion for it, I think another thing too, is that like something he and I bonded over was just basically getting our, getting humbled and like getting our teeth kicked in in our twenties. And he was just telling me stories about getting fired from jobs because he was so like arrogant, which was his admission. He says that on one of the pods. He always says it. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and what, and what he was like stocking beer shelves for a while and just writing about basketball. And I think that like when you're just doing it in that context, his passion was the thing that was pushing him to do it. And I think people just, people, uh, People can sense that. I don't know. It's like the difference between like a good record that like is by a songwriter that wrote something they went through and like a produced pop thing. Like people can sense that kind of thing. And John just always, we gravitate. We were fast friends, I think, on that front just because we we loved all levels of basketball too. And we were nerdy. We had the patience for it that maybe not every NBA fan does. But he, yeah, Kelsey's right. Like his passion was like, uh, up until like the very, the last conversation I had with him, which was, he could barely talk, but we were, um, Luca was like going off in that FIBA game. And I came in and I was like, I was like, dude, Luca's going wild right now. I was like, and he like smiled and was just like, like he barely had any inner injury or energy. And he texted me and he just said, let's watch FIBA highlights. That's literally <laughs> what he wanted to do. So we sat there and uh, I had a laptop and we were just like going through Synergy watching FIBA highlights. And I was like talking and he would nod and things like that. It was just like, that's that, that was what he wanted to fill his time with. I don't even think so much because of the, the basketball itself. I think basketball for him was like a prism to just connect with people. Yeah. And whenever you would meet people, John knew so many people. Like the stories you t- are telling me don't surprise me at all because he, he just talked to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just, I did just download the Gchat app and it's like just endless back in 2016. It was, I think, probably after, I remember him, I can't find the message, but I remember when he got hi- hired, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to, this new, the new Simmons project. Yeah. You know, because in the past two years that we knew each other, it was like him working on his blog, him freelancing at SB Nation and grinding, like you said, during that time, working other jobs, busting his ass, writing for different places and always doing original content. He just had a genuine 
passion and love for the NBA. And it's what allowed him to connect with so many different people, whether it's us, coworkers and friends, or well, there's people he just ran into around Dallas. We love Dallas too. Yeah, he loved Dallas. I feel like the thing that he had that was also really special, and I think that you're right that there may have been an element to maybe this is connected to his his faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but um, it, his takes his takes. I feel like I'm talking about like coward. It's like <laughs> he had like a humility um, that was like this is the most important thing to me, but it's not life or death. So like. If you disagree with me, like I would try to like come in a little hot sometimes with him about like, sometimes I would even, I mean, Justin and I would try to like push him to be like a little bit more like provocative, you know, like, you know, a little bit more, you know, like get get, get under people's skin here a little bit, you know? And he was like, yeah, I just think I'm right. You know, and it'll be like, it'll just be like people either get it or they don't, or like maybe it turns out I'm wrong, but that's not a big deal. Like, and I think that, uh, so much of the sports discourse now is about like dominating each other and just be like, I predicted this and I was right. So fuck you. <laughs> right. And uh, John never did that. Like, I don't even remember John, like never really liked predicting stuff. He was like, yeah, it'll happen. Like one way or the other, you know, like, and it was like a very cool way of being, uh, being like relating to sports. I always thought. Well, let's, let's take a break. And then I want to talk about him as a person yeah. and the faith and all that stuff. Start the NFL week off right with a no-sweat same-game parlay every Thursday from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or you already have an account. Every Thursday night, you'll get free bets back if your NFL same-game parlay doesn't hit. Same-game parlay is the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. So here's an example. I think the Chiefs are going to win on Thursday night. As you know, I love the Chiefs. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Kansas City Moneyline. Isaiah Pacheco to be an anytime touchdown score and the over of just 27.5 points, which is like minus 20,000. If you do those three, plus 625 on FanDuel right now, you'll get it over six to one. But basically, you just need the Chiefs to win and Pacheco to score a touchdown. You're good to go. Build your own SGP or choose from one of the popular SGPs pre-built for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet the NFL every Thursday night with a no-sweat, same-game parlay. Sign up with promo code BS if you don't already have an account. Once again, promo code BS to get free bets back. If your SGP doesn't win, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21-plus in select states. Three-plus legs, minimum $1 bet required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet $5. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITHIN Indiana. KSGAMBLINGHELP.COM in Kansas. 877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Tennessee Redlines 1-800-889-9789. And 800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1800gamber.net in West Virginia. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover 
with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at HoneyStinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at HoneyStinger.com. So we're talking about like the spirituality with charts, um, who, especially in the basketball um, universe, the content universe, gets a little combative. There's some takes. He just kind of levitated a little bit above it. Didn't really care what people thought of what he had this inner confidence and like, like what you said before, this is what I think and I think I'm right. And that was it. Yeah. Um, a lot of it came from his faith, which he would talk about. He would talk about on podcasts. And this is even before he was sick. Um, he would talk about it when you hung out with him in person. And it was a big part of of who he was. Um, and I, in a weird way, or maybe not a weird way, it it kind of shaped his writing because there was like a serenity to it. And that was one of the things I really enjoyed about reading him and listening to him. Yeah, he would, I, <laughs> it, it was funny because like when we became friends, I, we, we basically had opposite experiences. I grew up in like a very legalistic Southern Baptist environment. So my jadedness was at an incredible all-time high. We don't have to get in to litigate the details, but <laughs> we would have these conversations and he knew where I was on things. And I remember one time he like just blatantly proselytized to me in a conversation. And I was just like, that just doesn't happen very much, you know, from person to person. And I, I remember just being like, man, I don't remember the last time that's happened to me. But I think it's like a reflection of John. John's empathy for people was like a real common denominator. Like the fact that he, it became a thing where we, we didn't, it wasn't serious. Like when, whenever it was, but we could talk about it in a way that was teasing and lighthearted. If we got into a, like a subject that I knew was like a direct line to spirituality, I'd be like, I know what you're going to do. And he'd be, right. like, he'd be like, yeah, I would. But um, yeah, yeah like, you did get the feeling like he, he could convert you if you if, <laughs> if, if you weren't careful, and I mean that in a nice way. Like he he was always like his way was the best way, and it was always like a come to this side yeah. kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. That, by the way, was pretty seductive. Yeah, and it was. I mean, I think with Charks, he had this line on uh, House of Strauss. I was listening to that recently, and. He, you know, Ethan asked him about like, what's the difference between hope and faith? And Charks said, well, well, you can hope, you know, for good or bad things with faith. It's, it's faith that things are going to work out. And, and I think that sort of, you know, illustrates his mindset with how he approached life. It was, you know, he just has faith, you know, faith and faith in God, faith that things are, are going to work out in a good possible way. It was, it kind of dictated who he is as a person. So he told us he was sick. I think it was spring 2021. April, right? Yeah. April, yeah. But he was sick for two months prior, Kyle, something like he that. He had COVID and didn't recover from it, right? Yeah. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. And they thought he had long COVID. And then uh, he was just tired. And um, they were just trying to get the right eyes on him, and the right tests on him. And I think that's when it kind of, that was when it was revealed what was actually yeah, was going on. podcasting with us with like, he's like, yeah, you know, back pain sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, wasn't physically feeling yeah, good. And that was exactly. kind of one of the big indicators. Yeah. And then we get, uh, we get word that it's way worse than long COVID. Then it becomes a question of, well, wait a second, what does this mean? Like, that sounds like that's one of the worst cancers you can have. But it's, it's Charks and he's young and you, you think like, well, it's not going to, he's going to get out of this. 
Mm-hmm. Or, you know, he starts the chemo and it's like, well, the chemo will fix it. Does the one round, didn't fix it. Did this second round, which I think was a lot more painful and a lot more mm-hmm. agonizing all the way around. The crazy thing was he worked most of the time. <laughs> and we were telling him not to work. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much more plain I could have made. Please don't work. Yeah. We send, don't send us your laptop. With we like, don't <laughs> need anything. We just want you to get better. Please. And he just, I, it goes back to what you said earlier. There something about basketball, talking about it, maybe even writing about it. He didn't really write that many pieces other than the one about fatherhood after he got diagnosed. But, um, something about the dialogue, I think kept them grounded because, you know, he just had a young son and that's all he could think about mm-hmm. was I'm going to, I'm going to leave my, my wife and my son. I just had my son. Yeah. So I think he was throwing himself into different things, but you know, um, I, I could feel him starting to lose after the second chemo and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. That was the first time where I was like, wait, what's happening here? And then you start talking about miracle treatments. But what do you remember from all that, Kyle? Uh, yeah, this is like the part of it's the hardest to talk about. Uh, he, he definitely started to move into a phase of like really reflecting about his life. And I, I honestly really think that he, he flipped it in a way to start to think about how his situation could benefit other people. And he used the same like sharp incisiveness in the way that he thought and quickly recognizing like patterns and things and like not literal patterns, but just he saw the landscape, the chessboard and um, wrote some things that I think are just going to like last like he a couple of the pieces he wrote like about reckoning with his mortality and uh, talking about his son and down the road like those pieces are just like uh, I just feel like I'm going to re- revisit them forever honestly and um, yeah and it, it evolved to the point where he really and you were talking about him like continuing to work and like we were in Vegas and I was unsure if he was going to make it to Vegas. Uh, he really wanted to go. I wanted him to have that. Well, wait, go backwards. Well, because like April, May. Right. He tells you you're doing this draft podcast. And when, when did he tell you he didn't wasn't positive that that might have been the last episode that was in like maybe oh, end of May? It was before the lottery or was that yeah. the lottery but before the draft? <clears throat> well, they got bad news when they were driving back from the their 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 treatment quarterback as they were calling him and uh i think he just got to the point where he saw his finite time and was like this is i should be thinking about how i'm using it and um and that was what ultimately led to the stepping away and all that stuff which felt like i I mean i just kind of started grieving him at that point which was like really hard um and it's when someone's sick for that long kevin i've talked about this a lot chris and i've talked about this you just kind of grieve a person a lot over time and um he but to tie it together, we he ended up in Vegas, which was a miracle. I remember you texting. He like, did like two podcasts after. <laughs> you were like, yeah. "Why is he there?" <laughs> like he could barely walk. Uh, he literally, if you saw him in Vegas, John could barely walk, and that was because the tumors were like displacing, like they were just displacing the bones in his legs. He was like in incredible pain and walking like he was like in his eighties and had hip replacement. Like, um, but Kev and I recorded a pod with him at the Cosmo. Um, which I listened to on the plane because I didn't have anything to listen to. And I, and I was, it was just cool to hear him sharp and everything. Uh, but 
he and I were walking out and uh, I thought he was okay. Like he was charks. And I think that's kind of what you do with somebody when they're sick like that is you just kind of, you're like, they'll be around. You just, you can't convince yourself that they won't be. But he just got really upset and um, was telling me just the burden of being trapped in his own body during that time. And there was no break from yeah. the middle aspect of it. And I was like, do you ever get a break? Like, when do you, when do you, like, do you ever get one? And he was like, I do when I'm talking with you guys. Like, <laughs> like, and that, that was when it was like, that was like the key piece to it. I was just like, yeah, that's why he, he, he just, and he decided to come back to the show and I knew it wasn't because he was getting better. It was just because he wanted to talk ball with us. And he, that was the thing he loved the most. Like, uh, so. Yeah. I remember sometime in early May, we were texting about the Mavs. And at that point I thought he was, you know, he was done with pods, but just still following to follow as a fan. And he was so excited talking about it. I was like, do you want to just come on the pod tonight? I have a spot. He's like, I'd love to. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then I felt bad I hadn't invited him. And then there's sharks on the Zoom and we're taping at like 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, and and he was really good. Like he always is. Yeah. But, you know, you could tell, like you could see on the Zoom, he obviously physically was starting to break down a little bit, but still had great analysis. And, you know, the Mavericks thing, I don't know. I believe in this stuff sometimes, but they they basically make it to the conference finals. They had no business making it. And I don't know. I think it lifted his spirits a little bit. Of course. Yeah. That and the draft. I yeah. think those two things, I think he was throwing himself into that and it was pulling him out of the reality he was in, I think. It's like you said, Kyle, you know, that, that was the escape. Yeah. I, I mean, transparency, just for the Sharks reason, I wanted them to win so bad. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> just, I was so, definitely rooting for them, yeah. yeah. Uh, just He was so excited <laughs> about all that. It was really, it was fun. And it was sobering to hear him say, I mean, his frankness was one of my favorite things about him because John, John, I was talking with Barry about this. John would just tell me things. He would tell you things that were frank that um, would surprise you sometimes, like in a, like a social tact kind of a way. But it was always, you... you Loved that about him the more you get to know him. And um, he was just uh, like, for example, like he would talk to me about something I wrote and he'd be like, I don't really know why you need a 500 word diatribe, a personal anecdote to make a point about uh, Herb Jones. And I was like, oh, you know, and that, that was just like he was. That's just how John was. He was just very honest, but just so, yeah. so generous. Like, I remember like every once in a while I would get into a political discussion with John or you, we would have like one on Slack and John would just be like, yep. That's just the way the world goes. And I'd be like, <laughs> I was like, kid gloves, man. You want to just like kind of ease me into this a little bit? <laughs> oh my gosh. What oh are, man. What else do we need to cover here? Um, I'm, I'm just glad he got that Vegas moment that you're talking about. I am about. too, man. That's, that's I'm the so thing. Glad. John has. Because you ran into a bunch of the basketball community there. And yeah. That but, did seem like that was yeah. a good thing. It was a parade of people to see him. And John sticks out because he was so tall. I always had to like really suck it up. <laughs> Even slouching, he towered over me. Get some strength shoes. Yeah, stuff. I never got yeah. to play with him. But everybody says John would like really could play too. I, I, that's one regret I, I have. But um, yeah, people, it, it was just a parade of people. And John just had time for everybody. Like, I, re I really mean that. You, you, you blow people. You round up, I think, sometimes when people go. John was that way because my first interactions with John were on arguing with him on Twitter, A, but B, uh, I was a Tatum believer. I remember you had to talk about Oh, this. yeah, yeah. John, John wasn't in on Tatum. Love Jackson. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and I emailed him. Uh, he messaged me and was like, email me. And dude, we would have full-blown back and mm. forth 
This is before I knew him about Kentucky basketball. And he would ask, he would ask me questions. He just treated everybody like, uh, like they were the most important person. You hear people say that a lot, but it really was true. It's easy in professional basketball media to get very exhausted by basketball. I just feel like this is the last thing I want to talk about when I'm like off the clock pretty much or like maybe in the off season or on a Saturday, like Sunday and you're not working or whatever. And I just feel like John lived and breathed it. And in a way, like I'm really glad he got to to do it professionally for a while because he would have been doing it anyway. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he would have just had a Mavs That's why he's blog. good at it though. Yeah, but he would have just been like, yeah, I got a Mavs blog, you know, and maybe I coach volleyball or something like that. But like, you know, like I have a Mavs blog, you know? You know, um, watching him, especially the last 15 months or so, you know, we're all doing our jobs and sometimes you don't really want to do them or you're like, I don't feel like this tonight or, oh my God, it's Sunday night, I got a podcast or any of that stuff. After watching him, I don't think I've complained about working in the past year. It it is, how can you complain after that? I've, I've never seen anything like that. And that piece that he wrote, about being a dad, I, I think is among the best pieces we ever published dating I, back to Grandland, right? That's one of the five best things we've ever run and probably the most read. The, that's one of the pieces that more people from more walks of life who have nothing to do with the ringer or basketball or anything will be like, I read this piece that you guys ran and it absolutely blew my mind, changed my life, led me to make different choices in my life. Like it is unbelievable the impact that piece had on people. Yeah, my, my parents and and my wife and my daughter, they all read it. My daughter especially, really. So she, it's one of those pieces you just feel like you know the person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think fortunately and unfortunately, it's going to be one of the things that lives on with them for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years that that piece is going to be on the internet. I think that, you know, I was reading a lot of people's remembrances of him on Twitter yesterday. And one that jumped out, obviously, was Shay's. And Shay talking about John contacting him um, in Houston when there was obviously like the hurricane and and everything. And that John was basically like, I'm in Houston. We're, We're doing work. We're like, you know, gutting flooded houses. Like, you know, I'm here. And it was just like an example of a dude who was really... Uh, purpose driven and made sure that his life mattered like all the time. And that's like kind of like, you know, I'm not a religious person. There's a lot of things that like when John and I would talk about that kind of thing, maybe it went over my head. Um, But John's like, John gave his life a lot of meaning, you know, obviously his family, like, but just also like he understood how to like be in the present moment. And and that that was that was something that really resonated with me. Can you knew his wife probably? Yeah, had all is definitely the best. But the uh, the strength that she showed during this whole thing, updating everybody about what was going on with him, and those updates that were just heartbreaking. But I thought I just thought she was an amazing lady I, and uh, unbelievable. I, what was it like to get to know her over the course of the last two years? It was the same kind of thing. I mean, I, we went to Vegas and I had dinner with them and uh, they're just the type of people that they will talk about you the whole dinner if, if you'll let, like they are that type of people. Like I, they, they were just asking me, grilling me, asking me about myself and all this stuff and just, and you know, I, I, the thing about John, Melissa is a mir- just a miraculously strong person and so generous. And even in her grieving was saying, you know, saying, yeah, I hope 
this is how they were like in these in these times that were like just really bleak and just bottomless just grief um she would they just always make time to like think about other people just reflected outward and things like that and she was like i hope you're happy that like you know you were a part of the shows and stuff like that i was just like how can you th- why are you thinking about me right now like it's just it's a it's an uncommon but I, I think the thing that like with the piece that's hard is that like you were saying john john grew up and like he didn't have the family experience that he wanted and man he just pursued that with like the fullest wholest yeah. heart and he was so excited to be a dad and i have a son who's three months uh, younger than than Jackson. And, um, you know, Melissa was telling me when I was talking to her in Dallas the other day that uh, John, at one point when they, you know, their family life was kind of rolling and, 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 you know, things were coming together and Jackson was born and they were happily married. And he was like, I'm, he was like, I'm living my best life. That's what he said to her. <laughs> so there's that, that side of it that is just really hard to grapple with. Um, but the, the fairness of that, obviously, but it, he, he was somebody that, was excited about being a dad. And I think you can really see that in those, those pieces, but they're, they're just special people. Yeah. Does my son know you? Yes. The head that's the name of that one, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. uh, long night of the soul was the other one. Yeah. All right. Um, in, in Sharks's honor, Kyle and KOC and I are going to do a 2018 redraft. Um, because if we had asked him what draft should we redraft? He would have said 2018, right? Luca. He loved that draft. <laughs> he did. And the story behind this draft, um, you were the only one that weren't in the room for that, right? No, I was I was doing my dime drop stuff. Dime drop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we all got together. We did a live watch party yeah. that you can find. It's on YouTube. And John, I think, is sitting right behind me. And I, just as a as a company, we were just all in on Luca. And it was summer of 2018. It was really like, you know, the ringer took a lot of shit the first two years. It was like, it's not Grantland. And what are these guys? And it was, you kind of had to at least prove who you are. What, how is this identity different than the old place? What are you trying to do? And by, I think spring, summer 2018, it was pretty obvious. Like we had an identity. We were good at some stuff. And we had the Colangelo piece mm-hmm. that summer. We were at the finals. Um, We'd had a whole bunch of good things going. And then we had everybody in the chapel, which we called it the video place. And we did a rewatch. And we all loved Luca. You were in on Luca. Charks was in on Luca. I was like, I will my, <laughs> bet my baseball card collection on Luca. And we were just like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Like this guy was a 17-year-old playing overseas, kicking ass. And he won the MVP of a league with like grown men. And people don't know he's if he's going to translate to the NBA. Like, what are we doing? So we we're all in. And as we're there, Jason Gallagher, who was one of our main video guys at that point, um, huge Mavs fan and Sharks. And all of a sudden there's a trade. And the slow motion, like, oh my yeah, so God. Aiden goes first. Yeah. Aiden goes first. Sacramento second. We got Riley McEntee there, Sacramento Kings fan. Knowing that they're going to screw it up. Of course they do. They take Marvin Bagley. And now Atlanta's on the clock at three. And there's like slight rumors rolling around about a Dallas trade. And you can see it on the YouTube clip. Um, There's a trade and the camera cuts to Gallagher who looks like he's going to have an orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) And they do the trade and it turns out it's Dallas has moved up to three. And Gallagher runs over and Shark stands up and they do this high five like they're on the team. But uh, I'm really glad that moment exists. Yeah. 
So we are going to, uh, we're going to redraft the 2018 draft. Chris Ryan's going to leave us. Thanks, Chris. You got it. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. You're going to start wearing shorts. You're going to start wearing bathing suits. You're just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drumroll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you roll. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, U.S. only. During the break, we were talking, KFC was saying how he found his G-chat where there was a kajillion 2016 messages with sharks. I forgot to mention this when Chris was here, but I'm going to do it now. He he came to visit a couple times. and I think one of the times was 2018. And, you know, and we have people that come in and they'll be like, hey, can we talk? Or, and you're always like, oh, what's, is everything okay? Or do they want to do a different version of their job? You never know what it's going to be. So he was like, can I come by and see you? And I'm like, okay. And I'm a little nervous. I don't know what's going on. And he comes in, he sits down at this couch. You, you guys have all been in that office, I think. Um, and he sits down and he puts his arms, you know, back on the couch. Seven foot wingspan. <laughs> and he's seven. like, so, Big guy. <laughs> and he's like, so how you doing? And I'm, I'm like, I'm good. And he's like, I just kind of want to see what you did all day. And he's like genuinely curious about it. And I was like, yeah, so, you know, I'll come here. And it's like, so what's your day like? And he just started, all of a sudden, I was on like a Guy Raz podcast. <laughs> and he's just asking me questions about my day. And he's like, do you like it? Like, how hard is it to juggle all this? And was just asking me these different things. And we talked for like a half hour. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go see Jeff Chow. And he just got up and left. And I was like, wow, that's never happened to me before in a good way. That was great. He I just passed through and he asked some questions. I think that's part of the social thing that I was talking about. That he that was a childlike, what you're describing pinpoints it really well. It was like a childlike kind of a thing about him that was really sincere where he would, he would I forgot to tell this too. We were, we were in... Um, we were at the G League Showcase, which is like one of the hardest hardcore nerdy places you could be to follow basketball. But we were there and John was like, John knew everybody, number one, all all the like scouts and executives. They were all talking yeah. to him. Um, and John, I remember specifically John walking up to somebody and going, can you believe we do this for a living? He said that to the guy like sincerely. And I just think that that was kind of the childlike thing that you're talking about. Yeah. I, I could tell stories about John all day. Well, now we're going to tell the story of the 2018 draft, courtesy of a redraft. There's a lot of great players in this draft. 
I don't know who goes first. Should Isaiah? Isaiah, you want to decide who goes first? Uh, oh, we're literally going to pick them. Kyle, you go first. All right. Okay. I, I talked about we, this. Wait, we should say um, Miles Bridges is off the table. We're just not, we're not going to draft him. Okay. He's out. He's, he's, he's got a DMP for this draft. So you go. You have the first pick. Right. Uh, if, if Luca wasn't number one, which he is unequivocally, I was going to say the, the guy that if he wasn't there that John really, really loved in this draft was Jaron Jackson. He mm. loved Jaron Jackson and loved bigs in general, like love Chet, love Mobley, love JJJ, but it's Luca. I mean, Luca's a transcendent um, all-time, potentially few years, top of the pyramid type player. I mean, he's like special, special. So, obviously number one. If we did a 2010s draft, would Luca go first or would Giannis go first? Mm. Mm. I think you... Uh, we projected forward here. Who are you taking the rest of their career? That's what, just that if what it was a 2010, you get everything they did and everything they're about to mm. do. Uh, I think Giannis Luka, is first. I think it could be Luca with the creation aspects. I when you line the, the ages up against each other, though, it's like Luca is doing different the two way stuff with Giannis. I think you kind of end what he's accomplished. It's hard to like not include that yeah. in, the, in the data. Yeah, a I think you got to go. Year. Yeah, I think you got to go Giannis, but it's it's a definitely a debate. That's it. That's a good one. Okay, KFC, your second. Trey Young. Trey Young. Wow. Yeah, I think, okay. You, know, you could go Aiton here. You could go Shea Gildas Alexander. But I'm going with Trey Young in part because of the playoff production. We saw him go into Philly in a big must-win game, drop 18 assists. We saw him next game, drops 39 in a game five. Game one against Milwaukee is a 48-point game. I mean, Trey's done it in the playoffs. I don't think you can say that about Gildas Alexander picking him over him. It's more theoretical. Trey has his flaws on defense. You know, we'll see if he can get better off ball with uh, DeJounte Murray there in Atlanta this year. But I think this it's very possible we see the best version of Trey Young moving forward with DeJounte Murray in that Atlanta backcourt, assuming he totally buys in. The crazy thing about Trey, he's not even 24 yet. He'll turn so 24 young. during this season, but he's banked four seasons and he's this will be his age 24 NBA season. And you think like, just about every player, player peaks 26, 27, 28 area. So how does he get better? What does he add, you think? More <laughs> shooting off the ball, right, Kyle? That's that's going to be it with with Trey, like tapping into his uh, inner Steph instead of his, you know, being hardened all the time, dominating the ball like Prime Houston. Like if you get DeJounte Murray, he has no choice. Yeah, this is kind of the natural implied path. It's like you're this size, you shoot like this, you have these ball skills like this. It's like you would think he would go this direction. Just play more willing with another ball handler. Kind of the thing Garland Garland is going to be going through with Mitchell, which I think that dynamic will work. I think it, Me like, too. That they, they are going to flow into each other. You would think so. You would think that's the direction he would go, but I don't know that he's not the same efficient. No one is. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, it's Steph in terms of like on-off ball efficiency shooting it but you would think so he could Defensively, be more efficient you know coming off screens handoffs like he was at Oklahoma than he is sometimes jacking those 35 36 footers like if he t tones those down and does more you know maybe, maybe it helps him out I think the malleability to be built around I think that's kind of the thing with, with him if, he, if he's yeah. willing to be like more open to playing different styles I don't think it's going to handcuff the way Atlanta builds their rosters um, that's a big thing for would, him. Would going you take forward. SGA over him? I thought about it. Um, 
I kind of lean SGA over him, honestly, because we haven't seen if we built around SGA in the same, if you literally just claw machine, pick Shea up and put him in the same position with the same things built around him, how would we feel? How would we feel about Shea? You know, that's a question for me. Trey had like an over 34% usage rate the last three years. That was his average. My question is, can you actually win the title if you have a guard that has that kind of usage rate? No. Which is why I think they yep. made the Murray trade. And Absolutely. they'll play him off the ball. They'll try to rest him. And in general, like the, you know, we say with Chris Paul every year, the small guards trying to win four straight playoff rounds is rough. So they're trying to save some miles on him. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not positive that would have been how I cashed in my chips for my one big trade with DeJounte Murray, who is about to be paid two years from now. And I don't know. The more I think about that trade and how anxious San Antonio was to get off Murray and just cash in on him, and then you look at some of the other trades, I'll be really interested to see how that works out. I don't like making a trade like that. And this is this is my same issue with Minnesota. Unless I know I'm a contender. That was why I love the Mitchell trade. Because now for me, like Cleveland is like, a fringe contender, worst case scenario, or a possible contender with one move, right, this season. And I don't think Atlanta's a contender yet. So that's what makes me nervous about that. You go all in and it's like, what are you? You're like a six seed, seven seed? Mm-hmm. Especially given how loaded the Eastern Conference is. Yeah. I mean, I wonder I wonder how much of it, like, you know, politically was it about appeasing Trey? Because Trey wanted DeJounte Murray. He wanted him, wanted a team up with him. He wants to grow. Why are you trying to appease somebody who just signed like a mega deal with you? Okay. Like at least you have common sense leverage, right? Hey, Trey, hold on, man. Yeah. Be patient. Yeah. We made the Eastern Conference finals already. Like we're trying to build. Well, maybe that's the way they feel internally. Well, we just made these finals and here's what we were missing to get past that team to make the NBA finals. It's weird. I almost feel like I flip flopped on that trade because I thought, Wow, they got DeJounte Murray. That's amazing. He's one of the best 40 players in the league. Yeah. But after the Gobert, it really made me reconsider this whole price of, if you're going to pay the price that it costs now to get people, what is the outcome? Is it just to be relevant or is it to actually try to win the title? I think I think the mindset from the Atlanta standpoint is this is going to reveal the best version of Trey Young. Uh, having him in a backcourt with DeJounte Murray, one of the best defenders in the league at that position and a really good facilitator on offense who still might not be in his prime as a scorer. Atlanta could potentially feel like we are going to be the team that the next star wants to go to. So they're like, right. we've maxed this version of Trey sure. Young out. Let's, now let's we have level to, him up. this is how we elevate him. And, it makes sense. And then sign and trade for some free agent. But you have uh, nothing to load. sign. They have to get the free agent. Well, it have to be free agent, not like a guy, you know, it's not, not a Kevin Durant situation where you have to give up all the picks because you don't have the picks. It would have yeah. to be a, a sign and trade for a free agent. So I think that's that's their plan. It's to show show what they can be with a better tray. And you're in the 2008, yeah. we have Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. For now sure. it's time for us to go get right. yep. cheese stitch. All right, I have the third pick. I got I got to be honest. I really like Aiton in this spot. I like DeAndre Aiton. It's like a hot take. He was sitting there in free agency for anybody. I watched him be a very important piece of a team that really almost won the NBA title. He's young. How old is he now? Is he is he even 24 yet? He's in that 23-24 range. Yeah, he's 20 he turned 24 in July. 
I, I like some of the stuff he did defensively, being able to switch around and guard different types of players. He's no V-dubs. <laughs> Your guy, Wambanyama. <laughs> You'll get there I got soon, it. Wambanyama? <laughs> Just call him Victor Wimby. Wimby is an easy Wimby. one Victor. for you. Wimby's Wimby. Easy. Yeah. He's Wimby. no Wimby. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Lean on that. But I just, I'd value what he does. And for some reason he became overrated because they didn't do well in the playoffs. But um, I just think it's hard to find guys like him. I also, there's no stiffness to him. Like I, I see him at least for the next five, six years being a flexible athletic <laughs> big who could jump out and guard different types of positions. And I think that's, especially with the amount of centers and big guys that are coming in the league and that V-dubs is coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, there's, I just want a big. I don't think I can find guards. I can find SGA. I can trade for SGA. I can find other SGAs. How many Aitons are there? Well, how much belief do you have in Aiton offensively to <laughs> become a, more of a, like, let's say Chris Paul is retired. Let, 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 and Aiton needs to do more offensively as a creator, yeah. posting up or stuff from the perimeter. Do you have, like, have you seen enough from him there to feel confidence with him over SGA who, is great defensively when he's locked in. I got to be honest, I haven't watched SGA play in like three years. I don't even remember what he looks like. You might be, you might, you might be OKC taking him. witness protection You might program. be taking him three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with no, it. I, I, like I lean Aiton because of what we saw yeah. in the playoffs. I have provability that he, yes. this guy, you can win if this guy's on your team. Counterpoint. And, yeah. Counterpoint. Uh, he's playing in a situation, uh, devil's advocate here, he's playing in a situation where he's kind of being led to water pretty intensely mm -hmm. with a great point guard, which this is a phenomenon where, you know, CP3 definitely schooled him on what his what he needed from him at that position and was set up. I always think about parameters with players that aren't stars. Stars are the guys that can improvise beyond parameters and do things and you trust them to create efficiently. Yeah. Aiton, if you're going to say he's a max guy, you're going to assume that he probably either is going to be like a three level defensive like deterrent, like a guy like a Giannis type or an AD type. Is he is he quite on that level in terms of like mobility and getting high to like disrupt shots? I don't know that he's quite there. Um, more positional, right? He's like, more positional, yeah. which is good. It's just the difference between him and got those types of guys makes me wonder if th those are the those are the way you the ways you ding him and the and the, like the shooting has always been kind of hypothetical. It's never quite gotten there, and I think their frustration never. with him was just that the, he they never, would love if he were shooting threes right now. But he's not. Yeah, so it's, there's a lot yeah, of you'd have Suns fans arguing, probably screaming at the pod right now. You're I'm taking sure. bridges over Aiden. Like they would want bridges over Aiden right now, I think. That's inter interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I stand by it. You're up, Kyle. Uh, I'm going to go Shea here. Okay. Um, I, I almost did. I, I, I don't think it's a bad pick. I, man, what a bizarre situation he's in. Is he going to be content waiting another year? Uh, he's been on, well, he, you know, he's, He's tasted some good teams. He has playoff experience, and we saw him. I think he has defensive upside. I think he has shooting upside. They just the the war or the Thunder just hired Chip England, and I think that's huge for a roster full of guys who have shooting upside. Um, Shea's a special player. I think he has even twenty four years old. Yeah, I know people are going to come at me. Oh, Kyle loves Shea, Kentucky. Um, no, I mean he's objectively <laughs> a great player. I no, think. I I was going to his some of his rookie year games. And I was surprised they threw him in the Kawhi trade with the, with, or the Paul George with all that. Like he was just kind of the free set of tires with all the picks basically. And Presti was smart. Presti was like, I'm not doing this unless I get this guy. 
I really like them. Now, now I have regrets. KOC, well, I, I did this on a podcast. I don't understand why he's not the next guy. If I'm the Knicks and I almost got Donovan Mitchell with whatever different packages and you have OKC who loses Chet for the year, why wouldn't they just offer all the same stuff for SGA? I, I feel like he's as good of an asset. He very well could be because I think, you know, Kyle, you hit the point on Aiton where you said he's in a perfect situation to yeah. maximize his game. SGA... He's not. He has. He's on a team with a lack of spacing, and yet he's still one of the. He is the league's most frequent driver at getting to the basket, and one of the league's most efficient, despite being a, in a situation mm. that isn't an ideal circumstance for him. So, if you plug him into a team, as you're saying, Bill, where he has you know four shooters around him on the court, he has a great roller or pick and pop guy. SGA suddenly could become the guy you're like, oh, no, no, it's not Trey number two in this redraft. It's not Aiton. It's not Bridges. It's SGA, period. Yeah. Like, yeah. He could turn himself into that. It's just we haven't seen him in that environment yet. So I, if I'm another team in need of a star. Like, who, Do you think like, he's worth more than DeJounte Murray or less or I'd say right more, around the same? I'd say more than DeJounte Murray. I think so. Uh, you know, maybe more than Donovan Mitchell, but wow, prob- really? prob- probably not. I should have this, taken him third. I had this discussion with some people recently. Uh, Donovan's playmaking evolution lately has turned the tide on that, I think. I think he kind of has to redeem himself defensively because he's getting dogged all over the what all happened? over the NBA he, landscape. I think it comes back. It's He, 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 he had to have read all this stuff. Yeah, so he was he was so fun in college. Well, we'll see with SGA. He did play in two playoff series already and was pretty good in the second yeah. one for He was OKC. a Jerry West guy, wasn't he? Yeah. I feel like Jerry West oh, like, yeah. always a good sign. He he just had it. You could see it yeah. even when he was 19 out there in the Clippers. It was like, yeah. oh, this guy. You could always see him, I'm sure, like at Clippers games. You always saw him working with Sam Cassell before games. Yeah, he has. A long time. Yeah. What do you got, KFC, for fifth pick? Let's go with Mikel Bridges here. Maybe the best 3 and D player in the league. Better than 3 and D, though, because we've seen him do a little bit off the dribble for you. But, you know, great shooter off the catch. Lucas Harris was tough for him. Now, the question well, is, is the Lucas Harris tough for anybody, anybody. who's a human yeah. being? Well, and that raises the question of, like, you know, what are the limits of perimeter defense against these megastars? There's only so much you can do. We see that with Marcus Smart in the finals against Stephen Curry. Marcus Smart was Defensive Player of the Year, but there's only so much you can do against this level of talent. But I think Bridges and you know most series still is providing an, an incredibly important, um, you know, incred- incredibly important skills to winning basketball with his shooting. He can do do stuff off the dribble for you. He's a good, smart, intuitive passer, and defensively, he's one of the best and most versatile. Uh, some of the other guys left on the board, I think you can make arguments for over him. Uh, but I'll go with Bridges. I think the three, four, five in some order had to be the three guys we had. I already regret my eight and pick. I'm gonna have to deal with the media later <laughs> and the fans. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's SGA and then eight and bridges. I, I should have taken SGA, but if I had taken SGA, who would you have taken fourth? Uh, I'm right here. At, I actually had Trey fourth. I wow. was thinking about, uh, what was your top four? I had Luca, Shea, eight and Trey. That was my top four. I mean, I did this quickly. I didn't, really, yeah. I'm not going to act like I labored over it, uh, but <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my top four. But so. Bridges has played the most minutes of anyone in this class. That's part of it, too. I mean, 9,661 plus all the playoff minutes. A lot of injury prone guys after this. Yeah, really durable. He played uh, 22 minutes in the 21 playoffs, 22 games, 32 minutes a game. And then just from a durability standpoint in general, 82, 73 in the bubble season, 72 in the 72 game season, 82 last year. Like, really, really insanely durable for the three and deep position. All right, Kyle, you're up. 
Um, this was a question uh, I kind of debated with, uh, and I might call an audible here because it's it's tough. If MPJ is healthy, the shot making, he's basically, and this is a Charks quote, I mean, he's basically like 6'11", Clay. I mean, like, yeah. he's like that kind of shot maker, crazy efficient, but he's coming off of, and with a crazy injury history too. So you have to weigh that in. I flirted between him and Jaron Jackson here. Oh, another healthy guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm actually probably going to lean Jaron Jackson just because I think his defensive upside is pretty special. Mm. Uh, and he had a huge off-the-bounce leap this past season in terms of getting to the rim and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to lean Triple J here. I think it's the right pick. He's He turns 23 this season. Played 78 games this year, but then he just got hurt. So when does he come back? Uh, like, Chris Vernon like, said on Mismatch recently that he thinks it will be earlier than expected. Okay. okay. It's foot? Or is it... What was the injury with Triple J? I forget. Knee. Knee, okay. My H- fear hard with, to keep up with. <laughs> here's my fear with Triple J, and I, I think this is probably right around the right spot for him. Last year, he shot 41%. 41.5% field goal percentage. Foot. year before... I was right. Yeah, foot, yeah. He made a face, and I was right. 42.4% field goal the year before. Uh, From three-point, he was 32% last year. 4.4 free throws. 5.8 rebounds. But the defense is fantastic. When he's not fouling. (laughs) But I still got a long way to grow. My fear with him is, does he become like, not just from this draft, but maybe even from this decade, the most frustrating. I really thought this guy, I thought all the pieces were going to come together and it just, all of a sudden now he's 31. And it's like, oh, you kind of are who you are. I mean, Wiggins was that guy for a long time. But, but I, Wiggins had, that, there were some effort things and... Different challenges, yeah. He just took quarters and halves off. And if Months. you went to a game, you could watch it in person. Yeah. Jackson gives a shit. Oh, yeah. I just wonder what is he offensively ultimately? I mean, we know he's a sharpshooter. Like he can handle that. The creation you know, hasn't developed necessarily, but he can shoot it. God, the Warriors Grizzlies dynamic is just going to be unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They really don't like each other. It's, it's awesome. And he's center of it. Yeah. Who do you got eighth, KFC? We're on seven? Or s- no, we're eighth. K- uh, Kyle went first. Did I go sixth? I think we might have skipped. Did we skip me? I think we did. Oh, yeah. We skipped you. Uh, I thought you picked. Did you pick again? Well, we got this little reset. Luca, Trey, Aiton, SGA, Bridges, Jackson. Right. We skipped me. So I'll I'll take Jaron Jackson. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I'm going Twin Towers. Aiton and Jaron Jackson. What a Jedi move you just did. Imagine if Kyle did that if he was an NBA draft GM. He just drafted a spot ahead of himself. I said that. Well, you got me to argue the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm taking Jaron Jackson. All right. Now you have to take your backup. Uh, I'll go MPJ just because I think MPJ, what MPJ is does is special. Are you willing to bet on it? I mean, it's a risky bet. Uh, we've seen him tweet out like the league's in trouble and all that stuff. And he's a funny guy. We know that. But um, he's he's a super talent, man. Uh, the question, he, he's come a long way in terms of like defensive attentiveness. He was way, way, way behind on that when he came into the league. Um, but how, he's, many, how many career games do you think he's played? It's not high. Is I mean, is it under... 
120. What do you think, KOC? Under 100. 125. What a guess. Mm, yeah. Pretty good, huh? Uh, 19 points a game in the 2021 season. How many guys his size are, are that level of shot maker in the league, though? I mean, it's it's really a short list. Um, he is like, it, like when we were talking about the Mitchell trade, about what the benefits are of getting him. It is nice to have the guy who can go toe-to-toe with the other team's best scorer. And I think Porter does have it in him. Him on paper is like the perfect Jokic teammate. Oh, yeah. Right? I just wonder, like, you've missed basically two seasons now. And you're not even in your mid-20s yet. That makes me super nervous. Let's take uh, one more break, and then we'll, we'll finish the draft. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. We are supported by Men's Warehouse. When you wear a tailored Men's Warehouse outfit, it makes you feel confident like you can do anything, whether it's a sharp, well-fitted outfit that makes you want to roll back the ears and dance like no one is watching at a wedding, or a suit that makes you feel like you've got the job before you walk into a job interview. You should definitely give Men's Warehouse a shot, and here's why. Men's Warehouse, the only nationwide men's clothing store that has a tailor in every store to fit your suit, shirt, jeans, et cetera, to your body. And Men's Warehouse is everywhere with 600 plus locations nationwide. So if you need one, and you will, there's one near you. Feel like you can do anything in an outfit from Men's Warehouse. Visit your Men's Warehouse store or click or tap to shop online. KSC, you're up eighth pick. We'll zoom through these now. Let's go with Robert Williams. Time Lord. <laughs> the Time Lord. Yeah, let's go. I wasn't with, expecting that. Let's go with wow. Time Lord here. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, the defensive impact with him, the vertical threat on offense, and the playmaking. Sure you don't underrated. want Bomba, KOC? I sure mean, you don't want uh, Bomba? I mean, I get Bomba on. stored for later, Kyle. Let's one of you <laughs> assholes take him. <laughs> but yeah, I got I got Robert Williams here. Um, Some upside yeah. with the eighth pick. Yeah. If he can keep yeah. stay in the court. I mean, I mean that's really yeah. the question with him at this point. Is, can he stay in the court? Can, can, can he stay on the court? Other than that, you know who he is and you know what he offers your team to play winning basketball. By the way, Robert Williams, can he stay in the court? Stay in the court for well, us. A lot of these guys coming up. He's, I can't believe this guy fell to me at number nine. Uh, the one, the only Jalen Brunson. Fresh off a $105 million contract or whatever he signed with the New York Knicks. As you know, I value all my decisions with player evaluation. Can I win with you in the playoffs? Can I succeed with you in the playoffs? What are you going to look like in a playoff series? I know the answer with Jalen Brunson. He's a very effective player on a playoff team. And I don't think he can be the first or second best player. But if he's your third best player, I might have a chance. The problem with Dallas last year was he was their second best player. Yeah. Um, problem for the Knicks is he might be their best player. <laughs> well, that, and that's why we're going to pick them to go 39 <laughs> or 43 this year. Uh, but I just, 
he's such a unique player and um, he's had a chip on his shoulder his whole career. Some of the stats with him are just incredible. Like the paint stats and like his shot chart doesn't resemble any other guard in the league. He's one of the league's most test. efficient isolation scores. Oh my God. Shocking sometimes. So I just, I know what he is and I know what an asset he is. So anyway, that's my pick. Who do you got, Kyle? Uh, well, I was going to say he was in a perfect situation next to Luca. I was, uh, the, I will see how it goes. Uh, next. Yeah, hopefully that's not like the bad career move decision mm. where it's like, yeah, maybe it's a good idea to leave Luka Doncic. Big okay. playmakers for his player. I think player he's going to elevate the, those young Knicks guys. I hope so. I, hope so. Yeah. I would like to see that. I like watching him. Uh, I, I had Rob actually ahead of uh, right there. So, uh, and I was debating between, si- would you rather have Simons or Brunson? Because I think Simons is a little younger. That's an interesting kind of question. For He's Rob's underrated. Side. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Kevin Herter right here. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Oh my God. That's a shocker. I need to take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Herter. Well, exp- I'm in the Herter hive, so make me feel good. Uh, Herter, I think, has playmaking upside. I think that he has more He has more of that than he got to show with Trey because of how Trey shows. I think he gives a shit on defense, whether he's good at it or not. I don't think the, King- the Kings are going to be very sneakily, not not even sneakily, very fun to watch this year, I think. I don't think Only 24 st- years old, KFC. They're Kevin not going to be able to stop anybody. The Butcher's boy, Kevin Herter, um, and just a great size. I, I've always really liked him as a player. I've always been higher on him than other people. Maybe Russell is me the too. only guy who's higher. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm right there with you guys. I wanted the Celtics trade Grant Williams for him. And everybody thought I was doing a bit. I'm like, I'm not doing a bit. I want to trade for Kevin Herter. Uh, I like Grant Williams, but I think Herter's skills, that's another playoff guy to me. Even if he kind of sucked in the last playoffs. Don't worry but, about that. This yeah. is, you know. KOC's kind of not giving a Herter opinion. He's just looking he's confused. Fine. Oh, he's, come he's on. okay. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's a, on, he's, a, he's a good, not great shooter. Yeah, 39% from three isn't yeah, terrible. That's pretty good. Yeah. Jesus, Kev. Seriously. Long 39, arms. not good enough for Rebounds you. a little bit. No? All right. What do you got, Cassie? Anthony Simons. Okay. Yeah. Upside pick here with, with him. KOC loves those good stats, bad team guys. <laughs> Gravitates to them like well, I mean, the flame. I mean, <laughs> I'm not taking Bamba here. <laughs> oh boy! I mean, Simons has gotten way better every single season yeah. of his entire career. And if you're projecting forward with him, he's still just a baby. He's going to be 23 this coming year. He showed off with Dame out last year some developed playmaking chops, ability to create for others a little bit. But more than anything, that dude's a bucket getter. He goes from eight points per game to. Nearly 18 points. Isaiah really liked this pick. A lot of nodding going on with Isaiah I mean, over there. I, I think Simons, like if you're projecting the Blazers this year, they're not going to be some finals contender. But finally, Dame, you know, now he has this young guy and Anthony Simons replacing CJ. And now they have Jeremy Grant, Nasir Little, yeah. and all these long-arm defenders to surround that smaller backcourt with. So, like, good for Dame if he's able to come back and stay healthy. If Simons continues to get better, he can, you know, fill that gap left by CJ and... And if, you know, some of these other guys, if Jeremy Grant really finds a, a hybrid version of the Denver and Detroit version of himself, Portland's going to be competitive. They're not a finals contender, but they're they're going to be competitive. And a lot of that has to do with Anthony Simons and the way he's developed as a, as a bucket getter. Yeah. I like it. Um, I'm going to get a little weird here because there's some other more obvious picks and I don't really care. <laughs> um, In honor of Sharks. <laughs> don't care. 
That's a herder. Herder was a good one for that. He loved Herder too, by the yeah. way. <laughs> he did. I really like uh, D'Anthony Melton. Oh, he's nice. And oh, he's my next pick. Yeah. I thought that was a typical fucking sneaky Daryl move where he, I remember when he traded for Lowry and Lowry, Memphis, a million years ago, Memphis was just like, we just took another point guard. Does anyone want Lowry? <laughs> Daryl's like, I'll take him and just immediately got an asset. But I think Melton, there's a world with that Sixers team. If they can get Harden remotely where he was three years ago with Melton and with, uh, with Thibel, where they might actually play real defense, you know, uh, Harden accepted, but they, they would have two other guys to basically guard whoever the other team has and be patrolling the paint. Harris, who can be okay defensively. Um, but I just, Melton, if you could have picked a player from scratch, what do the Sixers need? Oh, yeah. It was somebody like him who doesn't need the ball, who just does all the little things, who's just steady and good at, at his job. He's an, oh, go ahead, Kevin. No. An annoying as hell on ball defender, really disruptive, yeah. really good hands. Well, how about Tybal and him together now? If you're, and he's stronger, no, if positionally. you're like Chris Paul, you're like, oh man, we're yeah. playing these guys tonight. God I damn. Mean, their defense off the bench, you got Thibel, Melton, Tucker. Right, yeah, I mean, PJ like, Tucker. They they got some tough guys. Even Harold. So is, put those three with Embiid, and you can survive with Harden defensively. I mean, they they have so much lineup flexibility. If if Doc Rivers figures it out, Sixers. I mean, like they'll be gone by Christmas. Isaiah's laughing out loud over there. Big, big if. <laughs> I mean, you could be right, Bill. But whoever the coach is, the yeah. Sixers have the upside to become the favorites in the East. Oof. Yeah, that it all depends on what we're getting from Harden. A hundred percent. NBA history says Harden is who he is at this point. But they oh, have yeah. they no have everything back. else. Everything I else. I can't you think need. of a single no late career rejuvenation past a certain age. It, it's it's just never happened. Is Harden a unique case though? Maybe. I mean, Tom Brady's playing quarterback at age forty five. LeBron's going to pass one hundred thousand minutes. Chris, Chris Paul, Paul, his value drops and then goes right back. Up. I just don't know if he can. If Harden's going to be dedicated like those guys are. How Chris about, Paul and, and LeBron were like legitimately dedicated. How about the fact you know Harden and B they still had the league's most efficient pick and roll duo despite Harden being in the state that he was. The number one in the NBA, I the Harden like, and Bead pick and is roll. Is that deal. factoring in uh, foul generation? Is that part? I mean, of it's, that? it's all. It's like every <laughs> you know, pick and roll. I see, yeah, the, yeah, I yeah. see like the whole stack case, the nerd case, anything you want to throw at me. But can you break that team in a playoff series if those are your best two guys? Like that's what they have to prove. Mm-hmm. What happens when, like, what happened to the Celtics those last couple finals games? When the Warriors yeah. just like broke them mentally and physically. Yeah. How much and will, they ran out of gas. How much will it have to do with Embiid getting better too? Because we can't forget he's gotten better every single season of his career too. Yeah. And he's adding more perimeter stuff this summer. Oh. Embiid could get better himself. Maybe. Or he might have peaked. Mm. Um, all right. Who who made that pick? I made that pick. You made that pick. <laughs> You're up, Kyle. Let's, let's rush to the rest here. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go Wendell Carter Jr. Hmm. I think he's one of the most <laughs> classically overrated by the media players. Everybody loves him because a lot of what he... I, I think he is a good player. I think he offers a lot. I think this year is going to be particularly interesting now that they have Paolo um, and Franz has grown as a playmaker. I just think that roster is really like... You could say something wild if you wanted to. Sneaky playing interesting maybe even yeah. depending on how things go. I like Wendell Carter Jr. He's he's another one. He's he's 23. He turns 24 in April. Like talk about like a baby. He's been oh, in the league yeah. 4 years. I think that Chicago trade 
like 10 years from now, we're going to be like, whoa, that was a bad trade. That might have been a Chicago's Carter, one big mistake. Wendell Carter and two lottery picks? Yeesh. It wasn't, wasn't Franz one of the lottery picks? Was that one of them? I think he was. Maybe I'm wrong, but. If that's the case, yeah, that's bad. Well, remember they had the two, they had five and they had eight. They took Suggs with their own pick and then they took. They took Franz Franz with the other. So just yeah. Franz, Franz straight up for Vucevic is a freaking steal. You do that and they got all the other stuff. Yeah. They got another pick coming from that trade. So I think we all understood the trade when it happened, but that's a case of yikes. Well, they haven't re-signed him for a reason. Chicago, right. that is. He's you we've watched him get played off the floor in a bunch of different games. Who do you got next, KFC? How many more picks are we doing? <laughs> What's the uh we'll do this round and one more or, and we're done? Yeah. Okay. I'll go with Colin Sexton. Oh, I was waiting, boy, waiting yeah. to see when yeah, he yeah. Yeah. is one one down year. Isaiah's laughing last year in Cleveland. <laughs> but, you know. I was saying, you know, if you want if you if you want to tank in the short term, a good move is to bring Colin Sexton in and say, go to town. You yeah, know? Just score twenty five, baby. Let's go. <laughs> he is a proven good stats bad team yeah. guy. Come on in. I think he can have an iter. I mean, his shooting stats are pretty good, and the eye test, like he. Plays hard. Yeah, he, he does. He, he gives a shit. Hard. Yeah. I don't want. I, I don't want to make it seem like we're dumping on him. We just haven't seen him on a good team. What, what is I, he in a winning context? I think he's like a Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, I think he's a 25, 27 minutes off the bench combo guard can carry your second offense and sometimes play crunch time. I think that's where he ends up. Right. I think that's fair. Disabusing yeah, maybe a little, him little more of, than that. of who he thinks he is is going to be the real challenge well, for I, his career. If, if this trade didn't do that for him, then you know he's going to have to have another one. I can't believe this guy's still on the board. I'm so excited. The key to the Rudy Gobert trade. That's right. Jared Vanderbilt. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I, I had him uh, 17 on mine, so yeah. far off. <laughs> 23 years old. His per 36, my friends, he was 9 and 12 for per 36 with uh, with two steals a game. He's weirdly active defensively. He's one of those guys... League pass, jumping around. He always jumped out. It was like, wow, this guy. What's what's he up to? And I think Utah really wanted him in that trade. I think that was a big piece of that. Like, all right, first we want all of your picks. And then we want Vanderbilt. <laughs> We're and not doing this without him. Yeah. Danny hangs up the phone. We need Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, I just like him. I, I think he's somebody that could be in a playoff series. So I'm a fan. All right, last round. One of the foremost Vando uh, guys here speaking. Uh, this is tough. I was going between two or three guys here. I'm thinking about in the playoffs. This Knicks fans are furious, by the way. Yeah. They're, they're just in disbelief. <laughs> There's one that He's I... He's got to go I, one of these three. Knicks fans just cannot believe it. They're like, wait, wasn't this the Mitchell Robinson draft? Like, uh, uh, Knicks fans, it was. It actually was the Mitchell Robinson draft. Go ahead, Kyle. Are you guys going to run me out of town if I take Gary Trent Jr. here? I don't mind it. Not I, at I all. I like top, the pick. Top three available. Hell of I a like defensive it. player. Tough as hell. Shoots the ball. Love him. Playoff guy. Yeah. Yeah. You can play him. You can keep him on the floor. Can he score, can guard bigger players. Off yeah. the dribble, too. Yeah. Also, when Masai trades for you, your stock goes up. Sure. It's like, <laughs> well, Masai likes you. Mm, <laughs> something's going on. All right, KFC, last pick. Got to go with Bo Bamba. <laughs> I knew it! <laughs> I mean, I have no choice. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're perfect. I mean, you, you can't say Mitchell Robinson can shoot threes. Bamba can. Oh, Boom. my God. Roasted. How old is Mo Bamba now? 
19, right, KLC? Yeah, he's 24. Like turns so 25 he's, he's in May. Young, young chap. And he's going to be a senator someday, I'm sure, right? So just, just an exemplary guy. <laughs> so still on the board, other than Miles Bridges, who's not on an NBA team, so we didn't draft him, among other reasons. Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit, Josh Okoji, Dante DiVincenzo, Aaron Holiday, Lonnie Walker, Grayson Allen, Marvin Bagley. That's the huge glaring. I thought you were, are you, are you out now? Because you've been teetering on keeping your stock. Weren't there tweets, Bill? I feel like there were tweets about Bagley Island. Are you, are you out or in? What's up? We might have to go one more round. How about um, Jay Sean Tate? You didn't say him either. Yeah, he wasn't on my list. Yeah. I mean, uh, Lonnie well, that, that's a, that's a sleeper. I, a winner? Robinson's got to go here. I'm a little worried about the health. He's only played 117 games, somehow less than Michael Porter Jr. Actually, you know what? That's terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm, wait, call back my card. Bring back my card. <laughs> wait, no. I'm not taking him. So Mitchell Mitchell Robinson is Mitchell Robinson's out. I, he's Bill out. Dove dove and tackled. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take Dante. Wow. I the fact that. First of all, I liked what he did on the Bucks. I thought there was potential there, but I also understood why they had to get rid of him because once the Bogdanovich thing fell apart, you know. Um, the fact that Golden State was like, not only do we like this guy, this guy is going to be an important piece for us because he knows how to play basketball and he fits in with what we do. For the smartest team in the league to say that, that has value to me. And I think he's going to be really good for them. As you know, I'm not a Warriors homer. They cut my heart out in the finals. I'm not the biggest fan of that team right now, but I think he's going to be really good for them. He he could restore his value. Yeah. For sure, and be the best version. Mitchell Robinson, if if I knew I was getting 60 games a year from him, I would have taken him there. So, there you go. All right. You want to wrap it up, or do you want to take Mitchell Robinson with the last pick? Yeah, I'll take Mitchell Mitchell Robinson with the last pick. It's good. Deshaun Tate, underrated, undrafted. You're taking Deshaun Tate? Bruce Brown is in there, too. I'll take Bruce Brown. How about uh, Kenrich Williams? Oh, He's love me one. some Kenrich yeah. Williams for sure. Bruce Brown, he might be better than so Bruce what, Brown. Honestly. What would what would Sharks have? What was his top four? You think? Other than Luca, obviously one. Who Luca? Luca one, SGA two, probably. SGA two? I think I had to talk him into SGA. I'm trying to remember. I know Triple J. Triple J would be up there for sure in the top four. Yeah. Oh, you think he would have had him in the top four? He loved him. I mean, he might have had him three. It was high. I'd have to go back and look. Probably at maybe was. above eight. And well, he drafted like ahead. weird unicorn, yeah. like strange multi-position guys was kind of his jam. He knew Biggs really well. I told this story that he hadn't seen Mobley yet. And uh, I was like, watch this game. And he texted me like 10 minutes later. And he was like, he needs to go number one. He's special. I was like, that quick? Really? <laughs> um, he was just really, he had an eye for that stuff. So. Love Biggs. Love that dude. Love Sharks. Yeah. All right. That's it. Um, if you want to um, check out the stuff that Sharks did on The Ringer, we have a special page that you can find pretty easily on our website. It also has a link to his wife's caring bridge. It has a link to the GoFundMe, which, man, that what is that up to now? Almost 200K. We're taping this on a Monday. I think it's over 200K. <clears throat> so the generosity wow. from the public out there has been unbelievable to watch. So we're taping this at it's 5.30 on a Monday. What is it? What's it up to? 240,000 right now. Wow. 240,000 and climbing. We were hoping, one of the reasons we wanted to do a special podcast for Sharks was because um, we were hoping 
that but maybe that, that would inspire that people. That started with a $50,000 goal. Kirk Henderson, Mavs Moneyball, yeah. started that up at like a 50K goal. Almost a quarter mil right now. Unbelievable. Great stuff. We're going to really miss him. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks to Chris Ryan for uh, for joining as well. And uh, thanks to Isaiah for joining us short term. Isaiah Blakely, we, we, we pulled you into emergency duty. Uh, we appreciate it though. Thanks. And thanks for listening. And thanks for, uh, thanks for all the nice feedback and the notes and everything that everybody sent us about, uh, about our guy. All right. Thanks to Isaiah Blakely and Kyle Crane for producing. Thanks to KOC and Kyle and Chris for coming on and talk about our guy Charks. Thanks to everybody who donated to the GoFundMe for the Charks family. It is over $250,000 and climbing just incredible stuff. I'm, I'm speechless. I didn't mention this during the podcast. I have a Simmons Family Foundation and we create scholarships with it. And one of the scholarships we created was at the University of Texas at Austin at the Moody College of Communication. It is for a graduate student to um, to go into long form storytelling. And we named it after Charks. It is the Jonathan Charks Fellowship. Sadly, he's not gonna be able to mentor this person that was gonna be part of it. I told him about it in the spring. Um, maybe round three of the playoffs, we we're talking about basketball. I kept trying to find out what was going on with his health. He kept steering it back to basketball, which is what he always did. And uh, eventually I was like, I got to tell you something. And I told him about the fellowship and he was the most excited I've ever heard him. And he was so excited to work with this person. So um, I'm sad that that's not going to happen. But um, it lives on at the school that he loved, that he went to. Kevin Durant was his favorite player. Um schools in Texas. That's where he's from. And I'm psyched that uh, at least the Jonathan Sharks Fellowship will carry his name, plus all the great pieces he wrote for The Ringer, um, the podcast that he did for us, and most importantly, that piece about fatherhood, which is one of the best pieces that we've ever run at The Ringer at Grantland. So rest in peace, Jonathan Sharks. We're going to miss you. I'll be back on this feed on um, Thursday talking football. See you then. Them on a waste of